Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. Hello and welcome to another Breakthrough Advisor Live podcast. Jack is here again, my co-host, and we have a very special guest. For 40 years, she's been writing about money. You have seen her on the main stage. She is very passionate about retirement income strategies. Her name is Mary Beth Franklin. Mary Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matthew. Really appreciate it. And thanks to Jack for being my initial inviter. Yeah. Well, as we were preparing here, uh, you started rattling off some stuff that I don't think a lot of people know about you, which is your pedigree and really like the career path that you got to being so well known in the industry. Would you mind just taking a few minutes and telling everybody about kind of how you got to where you are today? I'd be delighted. And I'll tell you, 40 some years ago, when I started out as a young journalist, I was a congressional reporter for United Press International all through the 80s and the, the Reagan Revolution. And I covered federal tax policy and federal budgets and most importantly, social security reform in 1983. Now, of course, you probably didn't realize they hired 12 year olds back then, but <laughs> I was a young reporter. And I took that information that I learned very early in my career. And then as my life paths and job opportunities changed, following a decade at United Press International. I spent 10 years as a syndicated um, newspaper columnist in 200 papers writing about money issues for and about older people, things like Medicare and Social Security and reverse mortgages and long-term care planning. After that, I went to Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine, where I was the tax and retirement editor. And along that way, I discovered social security claiming strategies and the rest is history. Well, why did that float your boat so much? I mean, you have such an affinity to this and write so passionately about it. Why is this so important to you? Two very personal reasons. One, my mother sadly died at 62. She received one social security check, which we had to mail back because she did not survive the whole month. Two, I'm the youngest of five children and my siblings are much older than I am. My oldest brother is 18 years older than I am. As my siblings got to social security age, one after one, they started collecting benefits at 62 and then would complain to me, gee, I'm giving these benefits back. And my reaction as the smart, alecky little sister was, well, that's stupid. Let me look into it. And I was very fortunate around 2008 to find an expert at the Social Security Administration headquarters in Baltimore who taught me everything there was to know about Social Security claiming. Now, keep in mind, a lot of these rules that created these strategies were the result of legislation in 2000. And most people never knew about them. And I was one of the first people in the popular press to write about claiming strategies. Jack? Mary Beth, we're talking to our advisors. We have been talking to them for the last few months 
about this retirement tsunami that the pandemic kind of kicked off last year. And our friends at Alliance for Lifetime Income have added their Peak 65 research, talking about how that 10,000 a day figure was really exploding. And a lot of advisors are fielding a lot of inquiries from people who have made up their mind that they're going to retire. Maybe not today, but they're committed to retiring sometime soon. And they're turning to advisors to say, now what? There's a, a lot of changes that have happened since 2008. What kinds of things should advisors know now as they're fielding those questions about Social Security and Medicare? What kinds of things should they know now that have changed that they need to be on top of? What are the important changes that, that you're seeing? Well, to start with, I think for advisors to be at least generally familiar with Social Security is such an important way to begin a discussion with either their existing clients or their prospective clients about overall retirement income. Because almost every one of those clients has paid into Social Security, they believe it's their earned benefit, and they want to know, when should I start taking my Social Security? For an advisor to be able to walk them through some of the decisions and timelines, giving them information but leaving the final decision up to the client is likely to say, wow, that was really helpful and he wasn't selling me anything. I wonder what else he can tell me about my retirement income. And gee, I have this 401k at work and I'm thinking about retirement. I wonder what I should do with that money. It's such a great entree into an overall discussion of retirement income and the fact that saving for retirement is a completely different ballgame than taking your money out of that nest egg. And while you may have been able to do it on your own through the help of your employer's 401k plan, it gets really tricky when you take the money out and you need help. There, there were a lot more claiming strategies before, and the, so th- those are kind of changing. So what kinds of things are left? What, what's, that, what's available out there? You're correct that in the dark of the night in late 2015, as Congress was passing unrelated legislation regarding the federal debt ceiling, they tacked an amendment onto it that changed the way people could use these creative claiming strategies. The first one that was very popular was called file and suspend. Unfortunately, it is now history. It allowed people when they reach their full retirement age to file for their benefits thereby triggering a benefit for a spouse or maybe a dependent child, and then turning their own benefits off so they could keep growing by 8% a year up until age 70. Incredibly valuable strategy, but if you haven't been able to use it yet, forget about it. It's gone. However, there is still a creative claiming strategy available to some people. Now it depends on when you were born. Here is the date every advisor needs to know, January 1st, 1954. If you have clients born on or before that date, meaning they're going to be at least 68 years old this year in 2021, they may have some creative claiming strategies that are not available to younger people. 
And this strategy is known as filing a restricted claim. I'm using air quotes there, filing a restricted claim for spousal benefits. That means if my husband or wife have already filed for social security and I am born before that magic date of January 1st, 1954, once I reach my full retirement age, I can say to Social Security, don't pay me my retirement benefit. Let it keep growing by 8% a year up until age 70. But in the meantime, pay me only as a spouse. Give me half of my husband or half of my wife's uh, full retirement age benefit. It is a beautiful strategy, unfortunately, you have to be born at the right time, and I'm one of those people who just missed it. But my husband's a little older than I am, so we have been able to use this strategy. Terrific. Those strategies go away in just a couple of years, right? That's right. We have about until the end of 2023, technically January 1st, 2024, and then that too is history. But a lot of financial advisors mistakenly assume that because these claiming creative claiming strategies are going away, that social security itself is not important and they don't need to know about it. That is the furthest thing from the truth. In this era of disappearing pensions, social security represents for most Americans, the only form of guaranteed retirement income that will last for the rest of their lives, no matter how long they live. The other important thing in discussing social security is interest rates. We have been living in virtually a zero interest rate environment for more than a decade and will continue in the foreseeable future. In the meantime, for those people who are healthy enough and wealthy enough to delay collecting their social security benefits, they are getting 8% a year for every year they postpone between their full retirement age and age 70. That is a smoking hot deal. So you do, as Matt said, you do a lot of speaking. Uh, a lot of our listeners have heard you at conferences before. So what is the what is the most common question you get from advisors about this subject? Advisors are very excited to help their clients use this creative claiming strategy. Unfortunately, they often forget that it depends on when their clients are born. I will typically get questions, hey, I have clients who are 64 and 65. I told them one of them should file and the other should file a restricted claim for spousal benefits. And I say, well, great strategy, but your clients are too young. They were born after this important date. The other thing I like to stress to advisors, even if your clients are not eligible to use this remaining creative claiming strategy, it's very important, particularly for married couples, to think about coordinating their claiming strategies because the most important benefit for a married couple is likely the survivor benefit that is available to the remaining spouse after one dies. And the best way you can maximize a survivor benefit is by having one spouse preferably the one with the bigger social security benefit, who is typically the husband and who is often a few years older, to have that husband wait until 70 to claim his benefits, thereby maximizing the retirement benefit while both spouses are alive. And since actuarially he is likely to die first, 
that is the amount his widow will basically inherit as her survivor benefit, and then her own smaller benefit goes away. So we'll circle back to that in a second. But there's your expertise extends beyond just Social Security into Medicare. And the data tells us those pre-retirees, those at-retirement age consumers have uh, twin fears of outliving their assets, right? And how to finance healthcare. So talk a little bit about what advisors' top priorities should be in planning around Medicare with their clients. What should they be focused on? The first thing is financial advisors should be at least basically familiar with certain timelines for Medicare, that when you turn 65, you have a seven-month window beginning three months before your 65th birthday, your birthday month, and three months afterwards to sign up for Medicare. That's called your initial enrollment period. If you miss your initial enrollment period and you do not have current group health insurance through a current employer, you could find yourself signing up late and paying delayed enrollment payments for the rest of your life. You never want to have your client in the situation of unnecessarily paying more for Medicare than they have to. So you should have some sort of trigger in your CRM system that as your clients are coming near their 65th birthday, come in and talk to us about your Medicare situation. Now, the good news is for so many of these boomers who say they plan to keep working beyond their full retirement age, if they have group health insurance at work, They don't have to worry about it. They don't need to sign up for Medicare and can sign up later penalty-free. But there are rules, like how big is the company you work for? If it's fewer than 20 employees, ah, that, that exception doesn't help you. You still have to sign up for Medicare. I hear these questions all the time, particularly from financial advisors that are working with small business owners. And a lot of times these small business owners are very satisfied with the health insurance they have through their company, but they don't realize they need to sign up for Medicare on time or face lifelong penalties. Gotcha. And there's also a little bit of a hidden tax around Medicare, right? And I know a lot of the advisors who are listening to this have more affluent clientele who may be in a situation where they trigger that Medicare premium. Can you talk for a second about what what planning strategies or what advisors need to be aware of with respect to that Medicare uh, premium? Absolutely. I would say that the way Social Security claiming strategies were all the buzz over the past decade, the idea of helping your clients minimize their future Medicare premiums is going to be the next big frontier of financial planning. And you're right, when you're dealing with higher income clients, these are the ones that are likely to be affected by what's called IRMA, income-related monthly adjustment amount. And of course, only the federal government could come up with such a catchy acronym. Basically, if this year in 2021, if you are single and your modified adjusted gross income, that's everything on your tax return, your AGI, plus any tax-exempt interest from muni bonds, that becomes your modified adjusted gross income. If you're single and your MAGI is 88,000 or less, you're good. 
If you're married and your joint income is 176000 or less, you're good. You're paying the standard monthly Medicare premium, which for Part B in 2021 is about $150 a month. But you go $1 over that, $88,001, and now you're in the next IRMA bracket, costing you an extra 50 bucks a month per person. If each spouse is over age 65, this marches up through six brackets to the point that your very high income clients in the 500,000 plus for singles and 750 plus for married couples would be paying over $500 a month per person just for Medicare Part B. And then their Medicare Part D prescription drug plan is also tied to their income, and they haven't bought a Medigap policy yet. So they could be paying $15,000 a year just in Medicare premiums and Medigap insurance before they see one doctor or fill one prescription. Wow. That's a lot of money. And there may be ways that you can help them reduce the income that is going to trigger those IRMA surcharges. So tax tax bracket management is a big takeaway from this podcast is what you're saying. It is, but advisors have to realize there are income tax brackets and separately there are IRMA tax, the IRMA brackets, you need to be able to look at both of them to find the sweet spot for your clients. It's not just a matter of, do I want to keep them in the top of the 22% income tax bracket? It's where is that falling on the Medicare surcharge bracket? And they have great opportunities, particularly now that required minimum distributions have been pushed back to 72 instead of 70 and a half. There may be opportunities for clients who have some flexibility over when they have to start taking money out of their qualified retirement accounts that can they start uh, converting some of their money to Roth IRAs. Yes, they will take an income tax hit in the year they do the conversion. Yes, they may take a Medicare hit as a result of that. And the thing to keep in mind is these Medicare surcharges are two years in the future. So in other words, whatever your income looks like in 2021, that is going to affect your Medicare premiums in 2023. But we all pretty much know that future income taxes are probably going to go up. And for certain clients of a certain age, you may have this window of opportunity, maybe between 62 and 72, that they can start moving money into tax-free columns. Roth IRAs are one of them. Cash value life insurance might be another. Yeah, we've been talking with our advisors a lot so far this year about Roth IRA conversions. We had a big program earlier this year with Ed Slot, who gave us great advice. And really, he's just so fired up about this opportunity that we have right now to front load the taxes, which is kind of counterintuitive. So you, you also speak a lot in front of consumer audiences, right? So what are the questions that do you get most frequently from consumers about Social Security and about Medicare? I would say the top question from consumers is, will Social Security be there for me in the future? And after all, it's going broke, so I should grab it as soon as I can, right? And I say, one, it's not going broke. 
basically the way your social security benefits are financed are through those FICA payroll taxes. We all pay with each paycheck, but those FICA tax revenues are paying the benefits of today's retirees. There is not a private little safe with your own personal social security account waiting to pay your future benefits. It's a pay-as-you-go system. About 30 years ago, more almost 40 years ago, when we had social security reform, one of the really smart things they did back in 1983, uh, baby boomers are going to be retiring in massive amounts starting around 2010. So now that are, we are part of the bipartisan com uh, commission in 1983, why don't we collect more FICA tax revenues than we need right now and stockpile them? And we call these stockpiles the trust funds. Well, over the years, the trust funds got bigger and bigger. And sometime around 2010, the ongoing tax revenues from FICA was not quite enough to pay all the benefits. So then we started drawing down on the interest on the trust funds. Well, now we're actually starting to tap into the principle of the trust funds in addition to the tax revenues. And if Congress does nothing between now and about 2034, those trust funds would be exhausted. That does not mean your social security checks would stop. It means there would be enough money from ongoing FICA tax revenues to pay roughly 75 to 80% of promised benefits. Now, no one is going to be satisfied with 75% of promised benefits. And Congress knows that. This is the most popular and most successful federal program in history. We have 69 million people receiving Social Security benefits right now. It's just going to increase in the future. They will do something. But if you say, I'm going to grab the benefit at 62 because I want to get it while I can, the only thing you have guaranteed is you are going to get 25 to 30% less of your benefit by claiming early. And that's a bit like selling out of your stock portfolio in a down market. The only thing you have guaranteed is you have locked in a loss. Great points. And with respect to Medicare, what are consumers asking? What? Consumers are so confused about Medicare. First of all, most people think it's free, and that's farthest from the truth. Your Medicare Part A that covers hospitalization is, quote, premium free because you have paid for it your entire career through your FICA taxes. The Medicare Part B, which we think of paying for doctor's fees and outpatient services, that has a monthly premium. But most people do not realize that how much they pay for that monthly premium is tied to their income. And here in traditional financial planning strategies, for decades, we have been telling people to fill up their 401ks, to fill up their IRAs, because you get the upfront tax break while you're working. And gee, that's great. But every penny that comes out of those qualified accounts is taxable at your ordinary income tax rate. And that could be triggering a much higher Medicare premium than you need to be paying. The other thing people don't realize is this very important, you need to sign up on time unless you have coverage at work. So I think, and, and there's been so many people are paying penalties, these lifelong delayed enrollment penalties, just because somebody at their HR department 
didn't understand how it worked and gave them bad advice. I think it's really cruel to make people pay a penalty for what was a simple mistake. They weren't avoiding enrolling in Medicare. They just didn't know they had to at that time. What kinds of, in, in you're working with financial advisors, talking with them, what, what kinds of things are you seeing that advisors are doing that are, is really exciting to you with respect to how they're coaching their clients or serving their clients around retirement income? I think advisors themselves, now we have to go back 30, 40 years. Financial planning basically started as investing and you had stockbrokers. And it, we have evolved over the last few decades into actually having financial advisors and financial planners. But many of them came up either through the investing arm or the insurance arm. That's what they knew. Not many advisors really understand the distribution end of things. And the research, you said you had talked to Wade Fowle, who is one of the greatest retirement researchers we have today, but the information he's dealing with today in the 21st century is very different from when we learned about the 4% withdrawal rule, when a 60-40 stock bond portfolio was returning a heck of a lot more than you could get from bonds returning virtually zero now. So the rules have changed and advisors and researchers have to be able to adapt to current conditions to give the best advice possible to their clients. And I am a big believer in matching your fixed cost in retirement to guaranteed or predictable sources of income. I don't think every penny of retirement income should be guaranteed or predictable, but I wanna make sure that my basic housing costs, taxes, health insurance, keeping the lights on, going to the groceries, that I can cover those fixed expenses with guaranteed income, whether it's social security, a pension, or a private annuity. The rest is discretionary. One of the landmines I think that's emerging is how we think about the bridge, right? How we get from 62 to 66 or 67, all right? So traditionally, what we're going to do is we're going to draw down our savings or we're going to take distributions, you know, from our qualified plans or use annuity income in order to bridge that gap. Based on what you've been talking about so far with respect to Social Security and Medicare tax consequences, that's kind of a landmine that's being exposed, right? Because we're potentially adding to a tax problem that we really should be mitigating as opposed to adding to. So do you see what I'm saying? It, it depends. You have this barbell effect of retirees. The people at the lower income end, and let's say they lost their job during the pandemic and they're 62, they need the money go ahead and take Social Security at 62. If you need the money, that's what it's there for. But maybe the white collar worker who just decided, hey, I don't wanna do this anymore, has enough assets to maybe have a personal bridge between stopping work at 62 and delaying claiming Social Security till 66, 67, or even 70. This could actually work in their favor for these higher income retirees in that if you are funding that bridge with your 401k IRA distributions that are taxable, 
because you have stopped working, you may be in a lower income tax bracket anyway, so that money may be coming out at a lower tax rate. And you are most likely reducing your future required minimum distributions by taking that money out earlier so that when you do get to 72 plus and the money you must take out each year, which in turn can trigger higher Medicare premiums, may be smaller than it would be if you hadn't touched that money early. So I think for higher income retirees, it can work into a well-designed tax-efficient withdrawal plan. It sounds to me like this is another reason why folks need to be looking at Roth IRA conversions and cash value life insurance at a very high rate. Because the, you've got this, we've got this window now, probably income taxes go up, right? But we've got this window now, and it's hard to envision that even when you do the bridge, you're going to add to your tax problem potentially, and you're going to be facing rising taxes as quickly as you can get to the tax-free bucket or make that tax-free bucket larger. Seems to me like that, that makes good sense right now. Well, there's certainly a tool, but again, you can't let the tail wag the dog, as we used to say in tax policy, that if life insurance makes sense, right. either from a bequest or state planning or you have a young family, if the life insurance makes sense and you can afford to invest in the cash value life insurance, yes, it can be a very smart tax move. But I think the life insurance portion has to make sense. Two other strategies I think advisors should think about utilizing more. When you have your higher income clients that are taking their required minimum distributions, which we now know is pushed back to 72, keep in mind, many of them can make direct transfers to a charity directly from their IRA, the Qualified Charitable Distributions, QCD, and that trigger age is still 70 and a half. That has not been bumped up to 72. So for people who are philanthropic minded, that is a way to take money off their tax return. They, they don't get a tax deduction for contributing to the, tra to the charity, but the money that goes directly from their IRA to the charity never shows up on the tax return and therefore never triggers the um, Medicare surcharge. The key is, which Ed Slot often points out to advisors, is you want to take that uh, charitable qual qualified distribution out first. You can't take the RMD out and then say, oh, by the way, I wanted that to go to charity. No, take the money out and go directly to the charity first. And that may satisfy all of your RMD. The other thing that I think we may see going forward, I think there will be renewed interest in reverse mortgages as a financial planning tool because distributions from reverse mortgages are tax-free. There will be ways for savvy financial advisors to work with their clients, to set up a, a line of credit and to take money out in certain ways that's tax-free, that if you say, I've got a traditional IRA, I've got RMDs I've got to take from that, and I never got around to making a Roth conversion, well, maybe a reverse mortgage might give you that tax-free pot of money. Yep, that's an area that Wade is, uh, is writing about.
right. it's a it's an under under underutilized planning strategy. Exactly. Matt, what do you think? I've been taking notes. I can honestly say that this is an area that I don't have as much personal education in, but I think in one of the things that I keep hearing though is the idea that so much is in flux. How do advisors continue to get the education that they need to be flexible, malleable, and, and make adjustments for their clients to know all Mary Beth, you discovered a huge swath of information. What's the best place for them to go to keep plugged in? Well, I think the best thing that came out of the pandemic is the financial advice community, which was never particularly tech savvy, has had to embrace technology in the form particularly of continuing education through webinars, through podcasts, all that there is so much information available and whether you're getting it through your broker dealer whether you're getting it through your financial planning association chapter whether you're getting it through your cfp certified education credits there is no shortage of information and i i think last year i was able to complete my 30 hours faster than i ever had before because i was here and i could do it all on zoom Nice. But I'll tell you, I'm the first person to say, get me back on a plane as soon as possible so I can network with people in person. So don't overlook Mary Beth as a resource. Mary Beth, yeah, it, this is the appropriate time to hold up the book. So Ma Mary Beth has a great book on this subject. Yes, you can listen to the podcast. Yes, she's going to be uh, on a webinar with us later this month, but she's got a resource for us, right? Absolutely. I write every year, I update the Maximize Your Social Security Retirement Benefits. It's available at www.maximizingsocialsecuritybenefits.com, updated for 2021. Awesome. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, that's okay. And we're going to make sure that we put that in the show notes, Mary Beth. And I really appreciate that. If What is your preferred way for people to follow you, if, just so our audience knows? I highly encourage people to read investment news if they can. It is just a great source of information for anybody in the industry. You can also follow me on Twitter at MBF Retire Pro, and I'm also on LinkedIn. But frankly, I encourage financial advisors to email me directly with their Social Security Medicare questions. I'm at mbfranklin at investmentnews.com. But here's the deal. I don't charge anybody for advice, but if you've got a good question, I'm going to write about it. <laughs> your, <laughs> your only choice is I quote you or I don't. <laughs> Jack, you got anything to wrap up today's show? No, thank you, Mary Beth. Awesome. And, and I think this is going to stretch thinking for a lot of financial advisors about what they need to be doing proactively with their clients, the systems they need to put in place to monitor what's happening with their clients financially, and the types of adv advice options uh, that they want to deploy for those clients. So I, I thought this was a powerful time with us. Thank you. Thank you. Just one other point. We have been talking about Roth IRA conversions for, what, 20 years? And really hard to get clients to move off the dime to actually do it. Clients are now scared about the thoughts of higher income taxes. This is the incentive they need to go ahead and make a move for Roth conversions. And they don't have to do it all at once. They have right. several years, a little fill up to the top of their tax bracket, do it a little at a time. Good advice. Fantastic. Mary Beth, thank you very much for being such a wonderful and informative guest on the break through Advisor Podcast. 
Thank you. I was delighted to have a discussion with both of you. Thanks, Jack, and thanks, Matthew. But make sure everybody that uh, you click on the show notes because all of the links, everything that Mary Beth said is going to be there. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. And if you know that one of your really good advisor friends needs to hear this, it's very easy to just share this podcast by clicking that share button below. So for Mary Beth and Jack, this is Matt Halloran, and I'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 